that celebrates the triumphs of people who have overcome their own life's challenges and made our world better. People who have taken life's lemons and made lemonade. Hello, I'm Heidi, your host of the Lemonade Stand, which is now open. Each week we talk to a different guest who shares an experience in their life of something they've overcome, a personal tragedy or trial that they've overcome. And it doesn't necessarily matter what they've overcome, it's the fact that they did overcome something. And that's what I want you to share with me also. Would like to um, go ahead and start just right off tonight with our guest. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just trying to learn some new equipment here. So anyway, I want to introduce my guest here tonight. I'm so excited about, about them being here. Um, we've got a wonderful couple here tonight. This is a little twist. We usually don't have couples here, so I'm, I'm really excited that they could be here to join me. Their names are Art and Dallas Berg. They've been married for almost 15 years, and they have two beautiful kids, and they just love being together as a family. They're a really close relationship. They own and operate two companies. One is called Invictus Communications, and the other is called eSpeakers.com. Um, Art has uh, written two books. The first book is called Some Miracles Take Time, and he actually, Dallas was a co-author on that also. And then the other one is called Finding Peace in Troubled Waters. And I've seen both of those books at um, like Desert Book or probably Siegel Book too has them. Great books, good, good stories. And um, Dallas has also been involved in the Mrs. Utah pageant. She was Mrs. Utah in 1992, and she went on to compete in nationals and took third place. So. We've got some incredible, <laughs> they're incredible people, and I'm so glad that they're here to join me tonight. How are you doing tonight? We're doing super nice. Oh, Thank great. You very much for having me, Heidi. Great. Okay, I want to make sure the mic works for you, so you're going to have to move up real close. How's that? Um, that's looking like it's good. I hope everybody out there can hear it as well as I can. Um, why don't you start out? We, this is a neat story because it's, it's an incredible lemonade experience if, if to ever describe any lemonade experiences. And it, in, in your situation, you had a trial long before, even before you were married, really. And I want you to kind of take us back to that and tell us how that started, what, what that entailed, and then how, how things are now. Kind of take us back to the beginning. Well, I guess we have to kind of put it in context a little bit. In fact, you have to go all the way back to when I was 16 years old and Dallas was 15 years old, and that's when we first met. And I'd be happy to share that experience with you, but I know I'm not going to get it right. So <laughs> I'll just go ahead and let Dallas tell you what the story was. Yeah, I know how to tell the truth about about how we met, but I've got a bronchitis, so my voice is kind of scratchy tonight. So, and we um, do need to excuse her tonight. We totally understand if she has to cough or there'll something. There'll be a few coughs, I'm sure. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're glad you could be here anyway. Thank you. Um, I was working out as a maid at a motel with a friend of mine, and we worked just on Saturday afternoons. And Art was a guest at the hotel. He happened to be my boss's little brother, and they lived in California. They came out to just be out for the holidays and to visit his sister and her husband and my friend and I thought that Art and his brother were really nice and really cute and so we invited them to our New Year's Eve party and they came over and we had a really good time and when Art left he said he was going to call me and I thought oh yeah sure <laughs> I didn't <laughs> like believe they always him. say that. <laughs> they always say that. <laughs> so he did and, and I didn't know who it was and so he made me guess and so I went through all these friends of mine that were boys and he there was, was a long list too <laughs> so he was feeling pretty bad and so was I but I really didn't expect his call but we just became really good friends and saved our money and worked hard and we could travel back and forth and see each other and visit with each other's families and did that for a number of years in fact that, that experience has a lot to do with our whole relationship because it began <laughs> when we were so young I being 16 Dallas being 15 and we over those years we would make phone calls we uh, write letters to one another, send gifts, and travel back and forth to see one another. And so we really built a relationship. 
uh, over those years that really created a foundation for us. And I think it's important because as we share what happened to us later in our life, uh, it will be more meaningful to know how we met. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Art served a mission for the LDS Church, and when he came home, we got engaged to be married. And about five weeks before our wedding, which was to have been on February 1st of 1994, um, he was on his way from California to Utah to see me and to spend some of the time between Christmas and New Year's together and to finish our upcoming wedding plans. And his friend fell asleep driving just about an hour north of Las Vegas on I-15. And the car rolled about five different times, or five times, and then he was ejected from the car despite the fact that he was wearing his seatbelt. Art was. And that's when he broke his neck. Oh, wow. Uh, I broke my neck, uh, and so I was taken from there to a hospital in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I spent about four months in the hospital, also in San Jose, California. Now, having broken my neck, I was left then as a quadriplegic, which simply means that I was paralyzed from the chest down. So I lost the use of my feet and legs, lost use of my stomach muscles, two out of my three major chest muscles, lost the full use of my right tricep, most of the strength and the use of my shoulders and arms, and I lost the complete use of my hands. And so I had to begin to relearn how to do everything again in my life. And, and this is when we were only a few weeks out from being married as well. So what was going through your mind at that time? I mean, you're laying in the hospital, and especially Dallas, I know you're going to tell us too what was going through your mind when you hear this. Is there feelings of just, I want to give up a lot of it, Art? And if you're laying there after just been diagnosed with this, and pretty much can't move or do anything. Is there just this overwhelming feeling of like, okay, I quit? Or how are you thinking? Well, certainly it was a major change in my life. Uh, suddenly your whole world changes, your perspective is different, everything you think, everything you believe is now being challenged. Sometimes, but really for the first time in, in my life, I mean, it, we often have experiences where we feel like our, what we believe is challenged, but none more than this was uh, for me. And so I had to fall back on those things which I really deeply believed in. And by doing that, it helped to, I, I realized first that those things which I believed and the foundation upon which I had built my life, that those things were real and lasting and that they were meaningful for me. And uh, building on those things, then I began to rebuild, reshape my life. Uh, it started with learning little simple things, but most importantly, it was continuing relationships that I had with Dallas as my fiance, uh, with my family, and my relationship that I had with uh, Jesus Christ as a Christian. Mm -hmm. So what was going through your mind, Dallas? You just Have you gotten a phone call? How did you find out? Um, yes, I did get a phone call. Art's mom called me. It was the day after Christmas, the morning of, and I actually expected Art to uh, be arriving at my home. Anytime. Anytime, yeah. within the hour. So I was busy doing those kinds of things to get ready to have him, so I was happy. happy. Christmas ready. had just happened, and I'm getting married, and just all those good feelings. And so when his mom called and asked if I was sitting down, I thought that was strange, you know, sitting down. Okay, well, yes, and I really wasn't, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. and, I, um, and then she told me that Art had been in a car accident and had broken his neck. And I think the first thing that came into my mind was, you're hoping it's a joke. And then when that, you, you decide that his mother wouldn't do that, then I thought of Jill Kinmont and the story of the other side of the mountain, the skier that broke her neck. And that's the only reference I had in my life of someone who had broken their neck. I'd seen the movie, I'd read the book, and um, there, that's what flooded my mind. I thought, wow, I guess that's what happens when somebody breaks their neck, so that's how I pictured him immediately. But she told me that, um, that 
we were hoping he would still be alive and that he would be he's in the Las Vegas hospital and then I immediately went in and obviously was bawling and talked to my parents and told them the news we made plans to get me out you know out there very quickly so I I did I found a flight which was very difficult the day after Christmas yeah. and had a friend pick me up from the Las Vegas airport and take me over to the hospital and I think that we'll have times in everybody's lives where you relive something with a smell or a sound or a thought and I can in just in a moment's time remember what it felt like to walk into that hospital and, and see his friend who had fallen asleep with blood still on his shirt and everything staying out in the hall looking so sad so his friend was okay his friend was okay oh, his friend was okay be a lot to live with physically too. it is and um, but for whatever reason um, I felt immediate um, forgiveness mm -hmm. never even crossed my mind just immediate forgiveness for him mm -hmm. and never felt any ill will toward yeah. him and so I think that was a gift that was given to me because yeah. I don't think that's natural no a lot of people <laughs> would really resent the person who did this to them yes yeah. and so I'm, I'm grateful for that because that was just given to me I didn't it wasn't something that I thought that I, I needed to seek out and find or had to struggle with particularly there was plenty of other things but not that one but I came in the hospital room and there's the person that you love and I know that all of you can think of someone who's like that and their, his body was laid, just laid there so still and so quiet and it was just a very strange experience to see him laying there and to know that he could not on his own power a very strong person, very strong minded person with a lot of character, it didn't matter he could not move his body if he wanted to but I came and I took hold of his hand and he just looked up at me and um, his head was in a vice at that point big ice tongue stuck in the side of his head with some weight off the back mm. <laughs> it looked very garish and horrible but uh, he looked at me and he smiled mm. and I just I knew we were gonna be okay just held his hand there and I knew we were gonna be okay did anybody ever question if you were still gonna get married you know it's interesting because Art's family didn't and my family didn't and this may seem really naive but again what Art was talking about, some things that you already believe in before something happens, mm -hmm. really set the precedence for how you react to something. But in my mind, I had made a decision that whoever I married, even as a young girl, I knew this, that kind of the gauge that I had in my mind, of could I continue to love them and could they continue to love me if something really horrible happened, if I lost, I mean something very visible, if I lost an arm or a leg or I was blinded or something that would be an outwardly visible problem, would this person still love me and stay with me? Truly love me? And would I truly love them? Would I truly be able to stay with them? And I've dated a lot of wonderful people and considered marriage with several, but Art was the only one, I guess, who passed the test <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. I knew that no matter whatever happened to me, I could even be burned horribly, and he would still love me for who I was. And I knew that I would love him no matter what happened. So he'd already passed the test. So when this happened, it, it actually, even though it sounds naive, I never thought about it until um, March of that year. After the wedding actually, date. Actually, after the wedding went. date. Mm -hmm. I was in the mall, and a friend of mine said, hey, I hear you got married, and you know the kinds of things you'd say to a friend. And I said, well, actually, our plans have been delayed. He was in a car accident, and he broke his neck. And she said, well, you're not going to still marry him, are you? And that is honestly the first time that it even occurred to me because my family loved art mm -hmm. and his family loved me and we had grown up together so to speak so I, I went home I was out here visiting actually in Utah and I went home and called art in the hospital in San Jose and I, I asked him I said you're still gonna marry me aren't you <laughs> <laughs> 
And he said, well, yes, I'm still gonna, you're still going to marry me, aren't you? So it had never occurred to either one of us. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of silly, but it had never occurred to us. And so we thought, oh, do you think some people think we shouldn't be getting married? Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, that, it just never did. And what we started out talking about was a little bit like imagine yourself in a situation and, you know, you're getting ready to get married. You're in those last-minute plans. I mean, you know how it is if you're, if you're excited about that. You've got all these plans and all these things going on. And you just and then something tragic happened that completely changes everything. And so we're here talking with Art in Dallasburg tonight. Um, and we're kind of starting with that. And there's several other things that they were going to share with us. And, and just how incredible this story is and how things came about to be. And so I just wanted you to pick up with that and tell us, now that you've just been diagnosed and you've seen that what's going to happen, what would you do now? I mean, how long is it going to take before wedding plans can continue and before life can go on like you had planned? Well, first of all, obviously this was a new experience for us, and yeah. so we didn't know what to expect. In fact, a lot of what we had to uh, think of, we had to rely on doctors to tell us what the future was going to be like. And at first, it was a fairly dismal outlook. In fact, in the beginning, the doctor said that I would, for example, that I would never work again, uh, mm-hmm. that I would uh, not ever expect to be independent, that for the rest of my life I'd be dependent to eat, get dressed, or even to get from place to place. Uh, they said that I shouldn't expect to go any places or to do many things. They said that we shouldn't expect to get married, and that we shouldn't expect to have children, and that never again would I ever be able to compete in any type of athletic event or activity. Uh, in my life and so for the first time in my young life I was really afraid and I, I was afraid that what they said uh, might really be true and at this time you're what 20 in your 21 21 21 years old wow. and so you know that that's kind of where it all where it all started and so I had to ask myself if I believed them and I, I think I have to say for both of us we, we didn't believe them and I think that was probably best yeah, because I always hear a lot of it is in your mind, and I feel like your mind can really control everything about you and your body, and if you're having trouble, you just got to convince yourself in your mind that things will be okay, and a lot of times people come out of amazing things because of just what their mind and they were able to convince themselves could be. Yes, I and mean, I think one of the things that I believe that, that helped, uh, helped me and helped us is that I believe that our circumstances were temporary. They weren't permanent. It wasn't always going to be this way. And people who tend to be very frustrated, very discouraged, or even depressed a lot of the time is because they tend to often look at their circumstances as always being permanent. In fact, if you ever talk to them, you'll hear them use words all the time like, I I never get a break, and I'm always behind, and I never get to do anything. And everything is never and always. It's always permanent. It never changes. And so I think the first thing is we realized that our circumstances were not always going to be this way that things would change and that we could change them, uh, that we could have an influence on what the fu- our future was going to be like. And along those same lines, that, that even just in the meantime, life spent in a wheelchair isn't a bad thing necessarily. Could we not have fun? Could we not go places, build a life, have a relationship, do the things that we wanted to do? We figured there's about 10,000 things that we could do before it's accident, and now there's about 9,000 things we can do and we still don't have time to do the 9,000. And so if you change what you believe in as far as your expectations um, and what your life is going to be like, it's okay to, like I said, to reform things, to rethink things, and to know that you can still have a great life anyway. It doesn't have to be what you always thought it would be. Now, one thing that I personally had to go through was to mourn, so to speak, 
the loss of my plans. Mm -hmm. As a girl, I had the fairy tale wedding. I had everything in place. I knew what I wanted. I had planned very hard and was very excited to be married. And so when that time came and went and my plans were, were unfulfilled and not done at that time in my time frame, I had to mourn that. And I think that's okay. I felt, you know, you feel bad about that. And to know that it's okay to feel bad about that. And then when that's done, then you can move on. Move on. But that I think it's important for people to know that it's okay to mourn over things. You can you can feel bad. You don't you have can. to go, oh, great, this has happened to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay to feel sorrow and feel pain and feel frustrated, but it's staying in that that can cause you problems. Exactly. You know, years and years if you're still focused on that. Exactly. And to take measures, to realize that, and to take measures to be get progressive, mm -hmm. to get out of it. And so when <laughs> I, kicking and screaming, realized that February 1st was going to come and go and I was not getting married, I was thinking how I was going to get the hospital bed to the church on time. <laughs> exactly. um, well, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to let go uh, of what your plans are. And, you know, sometimes also, too, I found that, that people get angry at their circumstances. Yes, very and often. in the beginning, I had people ask me, weren't you angry? I mean, don't, didn't you get mad at God? Or, and, and I thought about that for a while. And I thought, well, you know, let me see. who. Could, I mean, it would be really nice if I could be angry at somebody because that would be helpful. So I thought, let me see. I could, I guess I could be mad at God. But then I thought, well... You know, God didn't fall asleep, so I, I can't be mad at him. He wasn't driving. He didn't fall asleep. And besides, he's been the giver of every good thing in my life. And so I thought, well, I could always be mad at John. I mean, he was the guy that was driving the car, so I guess I could be angry at him. But then, after I thought about that for a while, I thought, well, it was, but it was only an accident. I mean, that's all. He didn't mean to. In fact, he feels terrible about it. And I'm sure to this day, he feels terrible about it. And so I thought, well, then I could, I could just be angry at life. I mean, life gave me lemons and so maybe I should just be angry at life I should just give up on life but I found that if I thought if I'm if I'm angry at life if I'm angry at God if I'm angry at the world then who wants to be around me and then then you have nothing and I thought if if our circumstances are going to improve and if we're going to enjoy life together then we can't do it being angry all the time and so sometimes you have to let go of what you wanted let go of your plans and then when you can do that, then you're ready to move forward. And I think that um, there was a time where we had to mourn the loss of being able to get married when we wanted to, at the time that we wanted to. And then, and then we had to move forward. And I think that was important, very pivotal for us. And I know a lot of people could even be wondering, okay, you know, this was so long ago, and now you're sitting here in the studio and maybe even wondering what happened between now and then, you know, that time and now. Because obviously you're here with me and you're not laying in a hospital bed, still not able to move. So what was the period like after that, after you, you went through your mourning and, and when did you finally get married? Well, we did get married. We got married uh, 18 months later. So we had a long engagement and we got married <laughs> Longer June Longer than you ever imagined or yes, thought. Yes, huh? uh, 1985. So uh, we did get married as you uh, introduced in the beginning. We've been married now for nearly 15 years and we have two beautiful children. As you also shared, we have a couple of companies that we own and operate together as uh, well as, um, you know, I've learned to drive again, I take care of myself, I, uh, it, I mean, but it took time. You know, it took me, took me four years to even learn how to put my own pants on again. Not that, not that I was naked the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, uh, it took me five years before I could put my own shoes and socks on again, and it took six before I was completely independent, seven before I could travel the world by myself, 
and ate before my wife realized that I could do the grocery shopping too. <laughs> and so now I'm back to grocery shopping. <laughs> but we, now we have two beautiful children and Dallas is going to tell you more about that experience and how we have our children. And, and I've also have returned to the world of sports. I mean, I've learned how to play tennis, I've learned how to swim, I play full contact rugby, and I race marathons, including in 1993 setting a world record by completing a marathon that was 325 miles long. Wow. And I do want to, you know, take this little side note and talk about the children, and then I want to kind of come back and finish up with Art telling us a little bit more about how it is being in a wheelchair and living life that way and how people react to that, too. So I want to hear more about that, too. So I'm going to go to Dallas now, and I want you to tell us you've got a uh, little girl that's almost nine and a little boy that's just five or going he, to be five? He's five. He'll be six soon. Oh, so yes. They're cute kids. Thank Sweet you. kids. So tell us about how this came about. Well, I, I guess since I was young, very young, I always wanted a large family. And after Art had his accident, we were wondering how that might be possible. Found out that that was very possible and actually wouldn't be a problem at all. That our kids, that you guys could still have kids. Yes, because mm -hmm. that's a, I know that's a lot of concern. People just think automatically you can't. So. Yes, uh -huh. and that is the assumption, and and it's uh, an understandable yeah. one. Yes, mm -hmm. but uh, we are still able to have children, and started working on that, <laughs> and come to find out that I have miscarriages, and not able to sustain a pregnancy, which is a little bit ironic if you think about it. But we began working in that department. We spent three years solidly working on that and trying to help me sustain a pregnancy and was unsuccessful. We've been through a lot of different things. Anyone who's gone through infertility knows that it consumes your life and it can be something that is a daily heartbreak. Stress. Uh -huh, and stress and, and money and everything. Yes, exactly. It's a drain on you emotionally. And it is and a lot of the, the drugs that they give to you can make Hormone, you crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> right. It can. It can make you crazy and and cranky and all sorts of things that Art will attest to. But <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of avenues that we tried and they haven't worked for us. But back in the beginning, in about two years into all of our fertility tests, and you have all these things that you go through and they test you for, and then they start working on them. <clears throat> we hired an attorney to help us with the business matter. We had a, a, some bookstores at the time and we hired an attorney to just help us with some business matters as you a lot of people who are in business for themselves need to do and it's interesting that he called us one day and said you know when were you and and art married and you know lots of little personal questions like that <clears throat> and so i finally said okay what are you asking all these questions for and he said oh i just have a little baby girl here that i know that you're going to want to adopt and i'd never even talked to him about the fact that you know i was having a hard time that we had even discussed maybe the possibility of adoption. And so we went down to his office, and there she was. She was a 15-month-old, beautiful, little, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl who just stole our hearts and took her home the next day. <laughs> Sounds kind of oh my funny, but <laughs> so we went from having no children to a 15-month-old all in one day. And I, I remember calling a really good friend of mine, and I said, hey, Holly, do you happen to have a crib I could borrow? Oh, my Because <laughs> I didn't even know what to go buy. Oh. And she said, what do you need a crib for? And so I said, I'm bringing home our daughter tomorrow. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a glorious day. And I'll never oh. forget, I, we laid in bed that night before, and I could hardly go to sleep, the anticipation oh, yeah. of waiting for her. And I looked at Art, and I said, tomorrow we're going to be parents. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, and I know that everyone goes through that, but it was a really remarkable thing to know that tomorrow, that was the last night that we would be alone in our home. 
yeah. that we would have this beautiful girl with us. And um, most people have time to prepare for that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and cribs and baby items. So yeah. yeah, that's an incredible experience. And I think in keeping with your theme of making uh, lemonade out of lemons, I mean this um, this this circumstance in business in which we had to retain an attorney in order to help solve. You know, at, when it first happened, it would have been easy for us to have said, you know, why is this happening? And it was draining our resources. It was consuming our time. It was taking a lot of energy emotionally. And it's easy and for us. You want to get bitter. And yes, it's easy to get angry or bitter and resentful. Exactly. No different than when the accident <laughs> happened, or no different for a lot of the experiences that many of us have in life. But you know, it was. Uh, w but we didn't. Um, well, I did. No. <laughs> I was out whacking weeds in my garden for days. I was very upset so and very angry. I was, and that's my one of my outlets. Yeah. <laughs> but when the, uh, the then we come to find out that the attorney that we thought we had only retained. Uh, for legal advice in terms of litigation, uh, it turns out that he's also an adoption attorney. Now, we hadn't sought adoption. It wasn't something, an avenue we had pursued. But here, all within about a 48-hour period of time, we have our beautiful little daughter who will be with us forever. And if you had seen her then, our daughter, and if you had seen pictures of her as she was small and growing, she looks almost identical to what Dallas looked like at the exact same age. Yeah, she does now. I mean, I've, I've seen her now, and I mean, Dallas is this beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed lady, and to have this cute little girl, I, you'd never even know. I mean, they're just, they're perfect match. I, I believe that often some of the greatest blessings of our life come from some of the challenges that we face and experience. One of those particular days that I was whacking the weeds, <laughs> um, I, I really was truly very upset, very angry. And I remember Art telling me that that nothing bad happens to somebody and that something greater doesn't come in its place. And I had always believed that up until that time. <laughs> and I had a little doubt in my mind. And I thought, I'm, what, I'm curious. I'm thinking to myself, I'm curious. What could possibly be better than this is awful right now? What could possibly be? And, you know, a couple of weeks you later, I got it. <laughs> so I, I truly believe that. And haven't haven't doubted that since it hasn't always come that quickly. Sometimes it's taken years, but yes. it does come about. And well, and a lot of times it's the other people's situation. I mean, something was happening with this mother of your child to make it even lead up to this point where you're able to get her. So a lot of times, bad things that happen to other people could affect others. I mean, it's amazing how the trials and problems in your life, how it, the way you handle them, can really affect a lot of people. That that is very true. We are very grateful to the birth mothers of both of our, our children. Um, I have just recently even met a new friend who, when she was younger, placed a baby for adoption. And after having gone through this experience, I realized that for a birth mother to place her baby with a family takes more courage and more strength than it is to keep the baby because it's a lot harder. Um, but this, this, this new friend of mine is very grateful that she did because she knew that for her and her circumstances, to have this baby have a mother and a father and a sound, solid relationship to, to be able to thrive and to grow, to be, um, to have the things that as a single mother, young, hasn't finished school, couldn't provide. She knew that for her baby, this would be the best thing. And, and so with our daughter's birth mother, we, that is a closed adoption. With our, our sons, it is a partially open adoption. And it's been a wonderful thing either way. But we're grateful to have been able to met and get to know our son's birth mother. And so was your son a different kind of the actual way that most people do it? <laughs> yes, not uh, not in, tw in 24 or 48 <laughs> yeah. hours, yes. We 
found out about six weeks before he was born that she had chosen us and as a family she loved the idea that we had our daughter she wanted her, her son to have an older sibling older sister and someone else who's adopted too probably yes uh -huh. and so it was um, a very neat thing she she's one of the most courageous people I've ever met and felt very directed in what she did and um, we have a really good re relationship it's been a beautiful thing and something that's blessed our lives and will continue to do so but we're very thankful for other women who maybe through some circumstances that they don't wish upon probably anybody <laughs> but mm -hmm. that they would like to try and make it better that we can be a blessing to each other's lives yeah. and that's how I feel like we've been a blessing to each other's lives and they've served as an avenue where my body cannot grow and have children but we grew our children in our hearts mm -hmm. that's good I know it's hard to talk about it. It's such a sensitive subject, and <coughs> especially children. They're so close to our hearts that way, too, and I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And Is there any more plan? Are you planning on more adoptions or anything right now, or are you just kind of... Depends on how the children were today. We're always <laughs> thinking, you know. I know. Every day it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just depends on how good they were. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are really cute with me. They'll come and say, oh, I wish I could get my kids the easy way like you did. <laughs> and <laughs> Your body can still look I great. beg to differ, <laughs> I know, yes. I think, oh, I'll... I'll put on some weight, I'll do whatever it takes, and, yeah. and I, I would really trade an awful lot to be able to have that experience. But um, once you have two, it's really hard to, to adopt. <laughs> oh, I a lot of people, a lot of mothers who are placing their babies, or, or for whatever reason, choose families who don't have any, and under, you know, understandably yeah. so, because you see a couple with two, you see one with none, Obviously. and you feel good about both. Yeah. Uh -huh. But you feel sorry for the one, <laughs> so that's where it goes. Yeah, yes. I understand. So we just, um, I think part of it is um, just, just, I don't know, coming from, again, from a woman's standpoint, possibly, in many different levels, I've had to mourn the fact that my body doesn't work the way that I want it to, and that what I feel like I was made to do, and what I want to do more than anything else, um, I can't do. And, it's, and I have some friends who are also infertile, who don't like to be around other people who have babies and have other children. And that's never been a problem for me. I just guess I have this attitude of, why not me? I'm not any more special than anybody else. And so people are going to have problems, and this is just my problem. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so I, I haven't ever felt bad about being around other people, their children, I'm happy when they can get pregnant and have children. Mm. But it's okay to, I've been on the floor bawling, many many months and years <laughs> mourning the fact that I don't uh, or cannot stay pregnant or if I have another miscarriage and um, I think the most important thing is I look at what I have I try to stay focused and centered on what I do have and that was that came to me long before we, we got Mackenzie before our daughter and I was grateful for what I had exactly the way that it was and I think that was important and that was key because then I quit thinking about all the time what I didn't have. And it's okay to still feel bad <laughs> once in a while and feel sorry for yourself. But um, anyway, we're, we were thankful for what we had. And then she came and then we got our beautiful son too. That is a true lemonade story. Mm -hmm. And you're sharing several tonight. And this is this is so incredible. But that is that is a true lemon lemonade story because you do. it's really how you look at your experiences and how you look at the hand that's given you or the lemon that's given you. What can I do with this? How can I make this problem better? And how can I be grateful for it? which is very hard, and 
I think it's a real healthy attitude that we all need to kind of start striving towards because I know I get <coughs> caught up in that why me you know and this this is so bad and and you really do you have to look back and go wow but look at all I have you know and that that's a hard that's a hard area to I think you bring it. up a really good point too to, uh, Heidi and that you, you said we often say why me <coughs> and you know before I talk about that for just a moment I you know in sharing our experiences with others I've, we've often had people come to us and say you know uh, my experiences are anything like yours, or they're not as bad, as, or it's not as tragic, but, and then they'll go on and share maybe a difficult experience they've had. And our response has been that, you know, we feel that pain hurts in any form. I mean, our tears aren't any wetter than somebody else's. Our heart doesn't break anymore. And uh, my, uh, the fact that I broke my neck and was paralyzed and I'm in a wheelchair today is no more difficult uh, than it is for Dallas um, struggling to keep children, to have children. And so, and it's no different than for a mother who has a child that's turned to alcohol and drugs or for the father who can't uh, keep a job and make money for his family or for a teenager who feels rejected by his peers. I mean, the pain hurts in, in any form. And one of the things that a lot of us do when we're in pain is we tend to ask why a lot. And that can be a difficult question. And the reason it is is because, in fact, you know, we often go through these periods where we say, why me? Why can I ever get ahead? Why does anybody love me? Why? And it's why, 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 why? In fact, I call them um, whiners because you spell it W-H-Y hyphen N-E-R-S because all they ask is why all the time. And I find that these people often are very miserable and very unhappy. And so I think the sooner we can get a, away from asking why all the time and ask a better question, ask, you know, uh, maybe... You know, what can I do with the circumstances that I'm in right now? How can I maybe bless someone else's life? How can I help? How can I change? What can I do? And I think if we ask better questions, and if we can avoid the word why all the time, I think we'll have a much greater measure of happiness. And more quickly, we'll find the lemonade within our lemon. I'm so grateful you brought up that point, because that's all I try to do here every week, is try to help people understand that whole, that whole perspective of it. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Okay, now you can take the stand here and tell us a little bit about you and how you're doing now and the things you've accomplished. Well, in the uh, I've, it's been 16 years now since I broke my neck on that desert floor in Nevada. Mm -hmm. And 16 years since the doctor said all those things um, I would uh, never be able to do again in my life. Uh, but from those uh, years ago, as we talked about earlier, now we own and operate our own business. In fact, I travel more than 200,000 miles a year as a professional speaker. And I get a chance to speak to companies all over the world, Fortune 500 companies uh, in, in America and other countries. And um, I do this on my own. I'm able to do this independent. I don't have to travel with anybody. I can take care of myself. I can get myself from place to place and do anything uh, that I need to do while I'm on the road. Uh, also, it, obviously, as we talked about, Dallas and I got married about 18 months later, have two beautiful children. And uh, I also had returned uh, to the world of sports, which they said would not be a possibility for me, given the physical circumstances of my life. Now, a lot of doing all those things and saying all those things, it, it took uh, taking, uh, doing a little bit every day over time. You know, some of the greatest miracles in my life and our life have not come about by any grand events, but rather often by the little things that we've chosen to do every day is very often the little things we do every day that make the biggest difference. Maybe it's how we communicate with our spouse. Or maybe it's some of our daily spiritual rituals. Or maybe it's um, 
how we think of others first. But often it's the little things, the little learning, the little insights every day that we take those out over time. And then I think that's when real miracles uh, occur in our lives. And that's when we begin to achieve some of the things that at the moment we may have considered to be impossible. And I think also a lot of it is, as Dallas talked about earlier, is learning how to focus on what we have and not on what we don't have. I mean, it's human nature that we tend to focus on what we don't have. Or and we compare ourselves. Yes. Always. Yes. I mean, you got to have what the neighbors have or you got to have what your friend has. Sure. You know, we're always looking at what we don't have or yeah. what we used to have or what someone else has or if I just had that, well, then I could really do something really with happy. my life. Yeah. yeah, and I found personally that when I, when I focus on the things that I don't have, that very seldom am I productive. And more often than not, I'm more frustrated and discouraged. Um, as Dallas was saying earlier, maybe before my accident, there's probably 10,000 things I could do. Today, there are only about 9,000 things that I can do, but I still don't have time to do all the 9,000. So either I could focus on the 1,000 I've lost, or I could just enjoy the nine I still have. And by focusing on those, I've found that more has become available to me uh, in the process. And, you know, and when I talk about that, it's not just, I'm not saying that we ought to look at life simply optimistically and that we ought to look at everything as wonderful and bright. But I also think we ought to look at today that which challenges us, but simply look at it from a different uh, perspective. Because very often the thing that challenges us is the thing that will help us if we look at it differently, use it differently. I, I doubt very seriously if I'd be a professional speaker today if I hadn't broke my neck 21 years ago. I doubt very much if I would hold a world record if I hadn't uh, had that experience on the desert floor. I mean, I doubt, uh, I doubt that we would have the two beautiful children we have today if it hadn't been for the experiences that we've already gone through. So um, I've had friends ask me that if I would be willing to go back, if I could change it all, and if I go back in time and, and take it all away, uh, so that I wouldn't have the accident, the injury, I wouldn't experience some of the pain, uh, would I? And the answer is no, because I would have to give away everything else too. And I'm not willing to give those away. They're worth too much to me and to us. Uh, and uh, so very often, the thing that at the time seems tragic can very often be some of the greatest blessings of our life. And do you notice that you get treated differently by being in a wheelchair? Do people not necessarily judge you, but I'm sure people feel a little self-conscious around you or maybe act a little differently? Well, yes. I mean, you know, it's people have often asked me, what are some of the, the barriers uh, that you find in life? And some of the biggest barriers are not physical barriers. It's not curbs. It's not stairs, although those can be barriers. But some of the biggest barriers are personal, emotional barriers. It's often how people treat you or how they look at you. And they don't mean it, and they're not intending to be malicious. They can be very simple. You know, we could, uh, Dallas and I could be going to a restaurant uh, to eat, and there'll be the hostess and then Dallas and myself, and we're weaving our way back toward the table. And the hostess will look, look back over her shoulder, look right past me, look right at Dallas, and say, will say something like, where would he like to sit? And all they have to do is look at me. I know where I'd like to sit. All you have to do is ask. But often they're uncomfortable. They're not sure what to say. They're not sure if I can answer for myself. Uh, you know, as I travel um, throughout the world, I often rent cars. I rent cars from Hertz and National and other car rental companies. They'll put hand controls in the cars to operate both the gas and the, and the brake. But I was uh, 
uh, recently I was in Florida and I got in about one o'clock in the morning I was gonna rent a car I went down to the to the car rental the bus shuttle thing that takes you out to the car lot to get your car and they have a wheelchair ramp yeah wheel up inside and they have a place where they strap the wheelchair to the floor so it doesn't roll around and then uh, they went to put a three-point seat belt on me and I simply said I'd prefer I'd prefer not to wear it I mean no one else was wearing one and I didn't see why I should have to wear one so I said I'd prefer not not to wear it and he said well you, you have to and I was why well, I, I don't know why I have to I mean no one else is I mean you're the only one wearing one and now you got me wearing one but nobody else on the bus is wearing a seatbelt they don't even have seatbelts for anybody else and he said well it's it's for your safety and I said well what about her safety what about his safety and you have a two-year-old sitting in the back what about her safety and he said well sir uh, she's with her mother I said oh so if I just bring my mother with me the next time, then I don't have to wear a seatbelt. I mean, maybe I should just have her pin a note to my shirt that says he can sit up by himself now. I mean, the luggage was less restrained in the racks than I was strapped to the floor. So I, I simply stood my ground and said I don't want to wear a seatbelt. And he said and they, they didn't even have seatbelts for the other people. No. So it wasn't even an option for them. No, it wasn't an option for everybody else. It was just me strapped to the floor in a three-point seatbelt. Which, you know, tends to make you feel a little ridiculous. Like you're and you're standing I, out a lot more than you need to be. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, I, I told him, I said, listen, there's, there's really only, I can only think of two reasons why I'm the only one wearing a seatbelt. One is you either think I'm incapable or you think that I'm incompetent. And neither one of those make me feel very good. <laughs> he said, well, no, it's neither one of those. I said, then just come up with a third one. I just tell me a third because those are the only two I can <laughs> think of guy. well it, yeah, I I, it was a poor guy and I, I felt bad for him but we, we were going to use him to make our point yes. so we sat there for an hour and a half they brought another bus out to bring everybody out to the car lot and we sat there I refused to wear the seatbelt he refused to move the bus wow. so finally after an hour and a half I got a bright idea which I don't know why I didn't get an hour and a half earlier but I wheeled over to one of the seats in the bus and I simply transferred out of my wheelchair into the seat and I said there see there's no seatbelt here and he said, oh, well, that'll work. And he drove away. I mean, he took me. That's all I had to do was just to, I guess, sit in another seat. Well, I wrote a letter to the president of the car rental company telling him my experience, telling him I wasn't really very happy about it. In fact, I told him that I'd had this experience. And I said that I've been a very good customer for a long time. And that should motivate you to help solve this. But just in case it doesn't, you need to know that I'm a professional speaker. And if that doesn't motivate you, you need to know that I speak to about 100,000 people a year. And if that, if that doesn't help you, then you need to know that I make my living by telling stories. And I just got a new one. So I wrote that he had 30 days to respond or else I would assume permission to tell the story. Well, he did respond. Actually, he called within uh, three days. And uh, now to this day, they no longer have that as a policy at that uh, car rental company. So a lot of the barriers are not physical barriers. Mm -hmm. A lot of the barriers are some, some of those psychological ones because it wasn't anybody trying to be malicious and it probably was in my best interest from a safety standpoint. But the difference was is that they made a stereotypical assumption. They made the assumption somehow, somewhere that I was either incapable or incompetent and didn't know what was best for myself. And we all do that every day. I mean, every day we look at people and we look at the car they drive, the clothes they wear, the accent. We look at the, the, the letters after their name in terms of an educational degree. And we make assumptions about them, about, about what they believe, about what they think, about what they're capable of. And when we do that, or we do it with the color of their skin or their religion, when we do that, I think we limit the opportunities for our, our own success. I, I think it's important for us to look at what stereotypical assumptions that we make about 
about other people really every every day that's so true and i i remember talking to you earlier you made a comment about how the wheelchair to you is like comparison to someone wearing glasses like you don't think about your glasses all day every day and that i'm wearing these and everybody can see these and and to you you almost forget the fact that you're in a wheelchair and to everyone else it's this big thing and to you it's just life yes they often think about it much more than i do yes that that is for sure and and every once in a while i'll look over at art and it'll strike me that he's in a wheelchair and i'll go oh my word he is he's in a wheelchair oh wow that's horrible or you know or i had forgotten seriously i had forgotten and life is normal for us just as life is normal for anybody else it doesn't have to be the same as someone else's to mm-hmm. be wonderful or normal and so we do we we sometimes forget yeah, and you talk normally we to each do other. actually <laughs> talk normally and i've had a, a couple of people come up and say how do i talk to your husband you know he's in a wheelchair i don't know what to say to him and i just think why don't you just say to him what you would say to anybody else you have human relations skills you ask questions you try to find some common interest or something to debate or something exciting a, a love of something that you can share and so it doesn't take much more than that just the the thought and the idea of looking people in the eye and treating them as you would anybody else oftentimes people will come up to art and they'll say i'm not sure you know if i should ask to help you open the door or to pick something up and our response is always well if you would normally open the door for somebody if they're let's say carrying a bag of groceries or something like that would you open the door for them as a common courtesy um, would you at least ask and that person can still decline and say no thank you I've got it or whatever and sometimes art opts to do that but overall it's just a common courtesy and and looking at other people as human beings uh, I'm grateful for the for the chance that our children have to have a father in a wheelchair because they look at things completely differently uh, a lot of people um, where they wouldn't come and normally put their hand on a shoulder or an arm or touch somebody while you're talking to them as part of this human relations thing they don't do that with somebody who's in a wheelchair and so our, our children go right up to people who are in wheelchairs and they'll touch the chair or touch them and they'll say so what happened to you <laughs> and I think as parents it's important that we don't all of a sudden say shh, shh, shh. oh stop it don't don't look at that person don't talk to them don't ask them what happened sometimes you might get somebody who's grumpy and cranky and just like you would anybody else that you meet who has having a bad day they may be disabled on the on the same hand but if we can have our children approach people and just look at people in their eyes and to see who they really are and you know if someone had a broken leg when she comes and say man what happened to you so sorry or you know how when did you get the cast off or whatever and so our kids have no problem in going and in touching disabled people <laughs> we have some friends that they just plop right up in their lap <laughs> and they're just with them mm-hmm. and so we get we have an opp- great opportunity to teach our children these kinds of things of course they, they've also figured out the advantages see my my five-year-old he's got an attitude and he's figured out some time ago that I'm in a wheelchair and so and I'm not, I'm not sure who told him but now whenever I get upset with him he runs for the nearest stairs and he stands in the middle of them and he says come get me daddy come get me so now I have to throw things at him but um, you know so they, they figure out too how to take advantage of it they'll run across the grass because they know I can't catch them across the grass as fast as if they stay on the concrete so they, they figured out after a while too but you know we do every day uh, we make assumptions about people uh, that that limit us in many in many way I was I was sitting on a small aircraft little 
pedal jumper, as they call them, just a prop plane. And I was sitting, I was sitting in the seat by the window, and the flight attendant came up to me, and she said, "I," she said, "I'm sorry, but you you can't sit at, at the window." And I said, "Well, why? I mean, this is a nice view. I paid for it. Why can't I sit here?" She said, "Well, you know, you, you, the law says that you have to sit in the aisle." And I said, "Really? Why does the law say I have to sit in the aisle?" She said, "Well, in case of an emergency, you know, we can get you off the plane." And I said, I, "I'm sorry, did." I did, did I ask for any help to get off the plane? She said, well, well, no, but but just in case you needed help. And I said, well, um, I, I think I can get off the plane just fine if there's an emergency, and I'd prefer to sit by the window. She said, well, it's it's an FCC uh, regulation um, or FAA regulation. You have to sit in the aisle. I said, I, it's not an FAA regulation, by the way. I do fly 200,000 miles a year, and, I, and I'm certain it's not a regulation. And she said, well, it is, and you have to you have to sit in the aisle or we can't take off. I said, it's, it's not, and I'd prefer that you show it to me before I move. So she she went up to the front of the plane, she had a little red book that has all the FAA guidelines and regulations, and she was flipping through it kind of uh, upset. And she, a few minutes later, she came back. She said, well, I, I can't find it yet, but you're delaying our takeoff. And if you'll just move to the aisle, then I'll look for it in flight. And I said, well, I'm telling you, it's not a regulation. So I'm going to sit by the window. And when you find out that it's not a regulation, then we can take off. So she went back to the front and she was just looking as fast as she could go. And she came back a few minutes later and she said, um, you're right, I've looked it up. It's actually not a regulation. It's only a suggestion. And so we can go ahead and take off. But again, it was she wasn't trying to be malicious. She was trying okay. to do her job. Yeah. But we, we make assumptions sometimes about people uh, based on the cars they drive or their education or the color of their skin or their religion. Uh, and when we do that, we hurt ourselves. We hurt our children. We hurt others around us rather than seeing the best in people and seeing the possibility instead of the impossibilities. That's a good lesson we can all learn tonight, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. We are out of time. We could just talk, I feel like we could talk all night, and I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for having us, Heidi. Anytime. I would love to have you come again. You've just been incredible inspiration to me personally, and I, I hope others listening may be able to be encouraged and strengthened tonight by what they heard. I. I feel so refueled tonight, like I just want to go out and conquer all these things now because you guys have just taught me so much and I really appreciate you taking time to be here with me tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having thank us. You. No problem, anytime. Again, I want to thank you for joining us and being a part of the Lemonade Stand. Please stay tuned next week and hear what lemon we're going to be talking about then. And remember how vitally important you are and that you should never doubt how vi vi valuable life is. And uh, I hope that you have a a good week and are able to be strengthened and, and know that you can do it. You can get through any problem you might be going through right now and you just need to hold on. And I thank you again for joining us. And remember that life is what you make it. So let's make it sweet and have a sweet night. <laughs>